0: As I begin this morning, uh, I want to just say a couple of words. I recognize that the topic of discussion today uh, may be one that um, opens opens wounds. Because we are talking about uh, folks who have passed away. We're talking about death and the overcoming of death by Jesus. And so I recognize that every single one of us in here has had family members or friends who have passed away recently, or maybe even not so recently, for whom we still carry a, a certain burden of grief, and so my desire here is not in any way to make those wounds bleed or to peel open scars, but rather, my desire here is in the preaching of first Thessalonians chapter four thirteen through eighteen is like paul 's desire to offer hope and consolation in the midst of grief, uh, and so it 's with that being said that we turn to this particular passage. The most unsettling aspect of human life is its end. The death of a loved one and the grief that comes with it can and does buckle our knees. It sucks out the air from our lungs and it drives us down. We humans recognize, I think, we seem to inherently understand that death is an intruder into this world, we recognize that it's not the way it's supposed to be, but we don't deal well with it. We try to delay death, we try to ignore death, and when we encounter it, we are oftentimes overwhelmed by it. The fact reality is, as British author the atheist Julian Barnes once quipped, the fact is that the death rate for the human race is not a jot lower than 100%. And yet we seem to try to escape, deny, or ignore. But death is inevitable, and just as it will happen, so is the grief that accompanies it. The grief and the loss felt and experienced by those loved ones who survived the deceased. And maybe you've experienced this, or maybe you've been the well-meaning friends and and family member who, who subtly communicates that, that the bereaved just need to get over it, that they just need to, to move on, and then maybe you've received this, maybe you've done this, when someone can't get past their grief or doesn't develop in their grief, they're treated like a leper. It's just too common for us, even for believers in Jesus, to face death with what amounts to helplessness and hopelessness. But this isn't a 21st century problem. Because death is an intruder into God's creation, and because death came into the world through sin at the beginning, and what we have is Genesis chapter 3, I think man's and humanity's fight against death has been since creation and since death came. And St. Paul here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, St. Paul writes... Dealing with this exact topic, dealing with grief in the face of death, he deals with this exact struggle in his pastoral letter. And in these thirteen, in, in these five verses in chapter four, verses thirteen through eighteen, I, I think that we find true and lasting consolation because Paul offers to us hope, not on hallmark card greetings, not on. Uh, kind words, but hope based upon the work, person, and promise of Jesus Christ. He says, essentially, that believers in Jesus can have hope in their grief because of the promised resurrection, the promised reunion, in the very presence of the returned Jesus. You see, something's happened in Thessalonica, Something is going on with the understanding of these believers in this church that Paul loves when it comes to to grief and it comes to death. These believers in Jesus, beloved by Paul, were encountering death with a grief that was seemingly hopeless. And, And this was a common thing in the ancient world. Greek poet Theocritus captured this ancient sentiment when he wrote, "...hopes are for the living, the dead have no hope." And so perhaps it is then that this young church has seen fellow believers die or suffer, and and they've been left wondering, what now? Is our hope in Jesus only while we're alive? What about the dead? What will happen to them? Will I ever see them again? And Paul writes to encourage them. Look what he says in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And then look at the end of this paragraph, verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So everything between 13 and 18 is, is there for a purpose, to inform these believers, these brothers and sisters in Jesus, that they are able to grieve death with hope. And then at the end, he says, take this, what I've taught you, and encourage people with it. Everything in between is about those two things, grieving with hope and encouraging one another. And as we look at this passage, let's highlight three things at the very beginning. First, we notice that Paul never once says, do not grieve. Paul never once apes the, 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 the ancient perspective that, that grief is a sign of weakness. He never once says, tamp it down, stuff it away. He never once says, buck up and bear up. Never once does Paul ever say, do not grieve. What he says is, do not grieve as those who have no hope grieve. St. Augustine, in preaching from this particular passage, He said this, Paul didn't just say that you may not be saddened, but that you may not be saddened as the heathens are who do not have any hope. It's unavoidable, Augustine says, after all, that you should be saddened. But when you feel sad, let hope console you. And that's the second highlight here. One, it's okay to grieve. It's necessary even to grieve. But two, Christian grief, grief of a believer in Jesus in the face of death is qualitatively different than non-Christian grief because Christians can and do have hope in the middle of it. Hope that is not ginned up. Hope that's not wishful thinking. Hope that is a confident expectation. And the source of that hope is the third highlight. Jesus is the source of that hope. Believers in Jesus can grieve with hope because death does not have the final word. Jesus does. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Paul writes, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. It is because of Jesus' death and resurrection, believers can have hope In the face of death, because of what Jesus does and what Jesus gives in Jesus' own death and in his own resurrection, he has conquered over the grave. Death now has no permanent power because Jesus has disarmed it. Jesus has knocked out death's teeth. Have you ever seen something without teeth try to eat corn on the cob? It's hilarious. Death now has no teeth because Jesus has yanked them out. In fact, Paul uses a different sort of illustration when he talks about death being something like a wasp, and Jesus has plucked out its stinger. So now, because of what Jesus has done, those who believe in Jesus share in his death, and they share in his resurrection. Believers in Jesus who die will be raised from the dead, Paul writes. And that is the source of Christian hope. This is how believers in Jesus can grieve with hope because of the promise of resurrection in and because of Jesus. Christians can face the death of a loved one. Christians can face horrific events like we saw last Sunday in Texas. Christians can face these kind of devastating deaths with hope because of Jesus. And, doesn't, and you don't just have to take my words for it. And you don't just have to take Paul's words for it. Notice what Paul says in verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. It isn't something he's made up, Paul. It isn't something that he heard from other apostles. It isn't something that got passed down. It's something that the Lord himself proclaimed. That we who are alive, we who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Jesus has proclaimed that in his death and in his resurrection, his followers will be conquerors over their own deaths because Jesus will raise them up on the last day. And there, in Jesus' very presence, there will be a sweet and joyful reunion. Jesus' resurrection guarantees that beloved fellow, that beloved fellow believers in Jesus will rise. That's the true source of hope. Believers in Jesus can have hope in their grief because of the promised resurrection and reunion in the presence of the returned Christ. For us, death hurts. It stings. It does. We can't deny it. But there is lasting hope even in the face of that pain. Jesus is coming, and when he does, our beloved will rise again. But when will this happen? Right. It's one thing to say, here is your hope. It's another thing for us to say, our hope will be fulfilled at this time. We are a people who, who uh, really desire immediate gratification. We like to, be, we like to know when we're going to get our rewards, right? We like to know when we're going to get our paycheck and when we're going to get our good gifts. Well, we have to be able to say here that this will happen, this resurrection of the dead will happen when Jesus comes again. But when Jesus comes again, not even Jesus knows. So we have to be certain in our uncertainty. And as Jesus has said from our gospel reading this morning, while we await the coming of Jesus, we await with plenty of oil in our lamps, we await prepared. Paul writes that this will happen when Jesus returns. In verse 16 of chapter 4, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now, some, some faithful believers in Jesus understand these verses to refer to what is commonly called the rapture. Unevented in, in which Jesus rescues the faithful from the clutches of the evil world. A Full disclosure here, I am not one of those faithful believers in Jesus who believes these verses are referring to the rapture. I believe these verses are referring to Jesus' arrival, not the church's departure. I believe these verses are referring to Jesus' return as the conquering king as we sang this morning in our processional hymn. Now, as an aside... It's okay for us to disagree on some of these things. And what I'm about to say, you might disagree with. Just as I can assure you, had the roles been switched and you were standing in my Chuck Taylors with my microphone, I would disagree with what you're saying. But I have my microphone and my Chuck Taylors, so nani, nani, nana. (laughs) It's okay for people who love Jesus to disagree about what it's going to look like when he comes back. Because quite frankly, the Bible is... um, uh, difficult to understand on these parts, and ambiguous on these parts, and it's okay. What we're not uh, disagreeing upon is, one, that there's going to be a resurrection, a physical resurrection of the body, and we're not disagreeing upon, two, that Jesus is coming again. Really, what we're disagreeing upon is the order of events in which it happens. And you know what? Uh, there's a lot of fancy terms for it. Uh, I was reminded this morning at our 745 service that uh, some of us are better off just being pan that it'll just pan out in the end as Jesus wants it to work out. So in the end, what we do is we do the best that we can to prayerfully understand the Scriptures as they're written, and we humbly submit them to one another, and we have to be willing to admit that we're wrong. And we recognize that the point here in this passage from 1 Thessalonians, the point really is we can grieve with hope in the face of grief because Jesus is coming. And with him comes resurrection. I think these verses are referring to what Paul will call the day of the Lord in the next chapter of his letter. That moment in space and in time which Jesus will physically return to this world in a public display of power and in a public display of recognition. And when he comes, he will come to renew, restore, recreate, and resurrect as he reestablishes or as he establishes his eternal and physical kingly reign in the new heavens and the new earth. And when Jesus returns, what Paul tells us is that the dead in Christ will rise and together with the alive in Christ will go up into the clouds to greet him and to welcome him and to escort him down into the earth. Now I think this because of two important terms in this passage, the first in, chap- in verse 15 and the second in verse 17. These two important terms are technical terms in the Greek that are used to refer to the visit of a very important person and the city's response to that visit. In chapter four, verse 15, uh, the, the verse that we have, or the word that we have translated as "coming" in our English standard version is the Greek word parousia. You may have heard of the word parousia. It refers to the second coming of Jesus. and Within the culture culture of St. Paul's time, this was a technical term used in connection to the very public visit of an official, a dignitary, a very important person. If Caesar was going to come visit Thessalonica, that would be Caesar's parousia to the city. And see, the second important term is found in verse 17. It's translated as the word meat. The Greek term is apontasis. It's the reaction of the people of the city to the parousia of the VIP. These are technical terms for what happened in the culture of the time. And there, as the parousia, the coming of the VIP, approached, The citizens of a community or its leading citizens would go out of their city and meet the official on the road. Now, would they have their big hubbub there on the road? Would they have their big meeting there on the road? Would you say that the the official has visited the city if he stays on the road? No. What happens is they meet on the road and then they ceremonially escort him in to the city of visit. What I think is happening in this particular passage, using the culture of St. Paul's time, is that he is describing Jesus' parousia to earth, and he's describing the apentasis of earth citizens as believers in Jesus going to meet him, to escort him in, down, to establish his eternal reign, his eternal kingdom, a kingdom that will never end, a reunion with resurrected brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ that will never end as we enjoy one another's presence in the very presence of Jesus as he truly then is Emmanuel, God with us physically. Did I say a lot right there? You guys are silent. Wow. Yeah, I know. So I think using terms that his original audience would understand, that Saint Paul is talking here about Jesus' return. He's talking, I think, about a second triumphal entry. In John chapter twelve, Saint John records that Jesus was getting ready to come into the city of Jerusalem for uh, for his crucifixion and his resurrection. And there, in John chapter twelve, the evangelist records what we call Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. I think there's a thematic connection between John 12 and 1 Thessalonians 4. While they don't use the same words, the same grammar, in both cases, Jesus is publicly acknowledged, is publicly met along the way of his coming, and then is escorted into the place of his visit. In both triumphal entries, Jesus comes as king. In the first, Jesus came as the suffering king who would die upon the cross for the sins of the world and would rise victorious over the grave. In the second coming, Jesus will come as the rightful king who has conquered evil, sin, death, and hell, and he will come to consummate his kingdom in which it forth down for the devil. He gets punted, the resurrection of the dead, and the joyful reunion of believers in Jesus. This is why believers in Jesus then can have hope, even in the face of death and grief, because the king is coming. And when he does, he will say like RoboCop, dead or alive, you're coming with me. (laughs) And one more thing of incredible importance, it's so incredibly important for us to see this, this joyful reunion in the presence of Jesus, it will never end. Ever end. Look at the last bit of verse 17. And so we, the dead and the alive, the resurrected and those alive at the time of coming, and so we will always be with the Lord. Always. Death doesn't last forever, but the physical reign of Jesus over the resurrected believers of Jesus enjoying his presence and reunion, that does last forever. When Jesus comes and his people meet him, death will be no more. Life will last forever. When Jesus comes and his people meet him, there will be no more goodbyes. There will be no more tears of grief, only joy with one another in the very presence of Jesus Christ. So believers in Jesus can indeed have hope in their grief because of the promised resurrection and reunion in the presence of the returned Christ. So what? What does that matter? Well, this information should change the way we grieve, and it should change the way we love those who grieve, shouldn't it? In fact, St. Paul provides the, the very specific application of this truth in this passage when he writes, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when I am in the presence of, uh, of those who have lost a loved one to death, I am at a loss of words. And maybe you're guilty like I am guilty of finding myself saying really stupid things. Well, this gives us something absolutely true and absolutely right that we can say to one another in the face of death. Grieve, but grieve with hope, because Jesus is coming And when Jesus comes, the dead in Christ will rise. There will be reunion. We will see one another again in the joyful presence of our Lord. And so while our knees are buckled, and while the air is sucked from our lungs by the grief that comes with the death of our loved ones, we can have hope because of the promise, not of Paul, but of Jesus And we have something with which we can come alongside our brothers and our sisters who grieve. We can enter into grief with them and encourage them with the promise of resurrection and reunion in the presence of the returned Christ. And we can sort of understand how it is that non-believers find themselves hopeless and helpless in the face of death. And we can offer them life in Jesus. Only in Jesus is Their hope of life only in Jesus is their resurrection and reunion. There is hope that the world is desperate for is found in Jesus himself. And so we have much to offer a dying world. We have much to offer a world that can't understand death, can't deal with death, and has no hope in the face of death because we have Jesus to offer them. Believers in Jesus can have hope in their grief because of the promised resurrection and reunion in the presence of the returned Christ. I've said this to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Holy and gracious God, we praise you and give you thanks. Lord, you are so kind to us. In Jesus Christ, you are so good to us. We pray, Lord, that we would hope in the resurrection, and hope in the return, and hope in the reunion that Jesus brings. We pray, Lord, that these words and this truth of Jesus would console us in our grief. We pray for wisdom to console others and theirs, that Jesus would be exalted and glorified. And we look forward to the day, Lord, longing for Christ to come. Lord Jesus, come. Until that time, we will prepare ourselves and we will worship you and seek your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's continue our worship this morning by standing and singing together.